and welcome to the Club Soda podcast. As this is going out, it's the Jubilee weekend here in the UK, and I'm joined by my Club Soda co-founder and member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, Laura Willoughby. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Honestly, everybody, it doesn't really mean anything, and it's the well, Queen's weekend, not mine. Yeah, but you are an MBE, Laura. Tell us what you're an MBE for, because it is impressive. Well, I, I got it quite a long while ago, while I was still drinking, which makes it even more <laughs> right? Um, I got it for services to the community. I've been a community activist since I was about 14. So um, so it was in recognition of that. Very exciting. Uh, it is the Jubilee weekend uh, here in the UK. Um, obviously, as an MBE, Laura, this is top of your priority list, celebrating the Queen's 70 years on the throne. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> How are you marking this occasion? Actually, you've had the Jubilee pudding, haven't you? That's very exciting. Oh, yeah. So it was my birthday. Was it? it was my birthday last weekend. And my mum spent the whole week making that Jubilee pudding for me for scratch. She didn't buy the bits. She made the Swiss roll. She made the jelly. She made the custard. She made the amaretti biscuits. Um, it was quite something and um, very trifly. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, you can't eat much in a go. There's a little bit in the fridge left for UC to eat, but I've, I've had that. So I can highly recommend it if anyone's making it, but it's also not just a Jubilee weekend. It's also half term where people get to spend time with kids, Drew. It is. It's always a, uh, this feels like a very long time ago for me now. My son's in his early twenties, but yes, I do remember the challenges of suddenly having kids at home all the time and this week's podcast is really all about that business of parenting you spoke to Casey Maguire Davidson from Hello Someday Coaching tell us about that it was a brilliant conversation because as you know I don't have children but lots of club soda members do and I always feel very inadequate when people ask questions about dealing with children dealing with all that parenting drinking um, stuff, the fact that, you know, a lot of the gifting and uh, merchandising around parenting, particularly mothering, is about being drunk. And so I always like to take the opportunity when anybody's got experience of that to talk to them. And um, talking to Casey was one of those. And we talked about not only parenting, but parenting when you're also working really hard, you're trying to excel at your job and be the best person you can be. I can't even imagine that pressure on being a parent working hard, trying to build your career. And, you know, the small amount of time you have to decompress at the end of the day and where alcohol has been, you know, that substance that helps you do that and how difficult it might be to change your drinking when you're juggling so many things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're absolutely, if you're one of those, uh, wait for the kids to go to bed before you crack open a bottle of something for that bit of grown up time at the end of the day, um, that can be a surprisingly hard habit to shake. Um, anyway, so here's Laura's conversation with Casey. Um, so I'm here with Casey Davidson. Um, Casey runs um, uh, Hello Someday Coaching and is in the States. And particularly, she um, she coaches uh, busy women and busy mums on how to change their drinking. And so some of you will know that at Club Soda, we're a very childless lot. Um, and it's I always feel when people ask me about parenting that I just have to back off. I have no experience whatsoever. And that's where wonderful people like Casey come into um, Club Soda's periphery to give us some great expertise. So hello, Casey. Thank you so much for being a parent for us today. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm really excited to be here. 
And so I know in Britain, the the mummy wine culture is quite a big thing. You can buy baby grows that say I'm the reason why mummy drinks and all of that sort of stuff. So I've always been really aware of that link between um, alcohol and parenting and particularly mothering. But clearly that's come from somewhere. Um, and, and some of that is because our generation of mums seem to be drinking an awful lot. It's not all caused by the baby grows. It, there was something there to begin with. What do you think it is about, you know, parenting and drinking and, and why mums are in this space at the moment, do you think? Yeah, I actually, you know, many, many women start drinking a lot when they become parents. I mean, most of us drank before. Um, but there is a significant shift when we become parents. And, and I think it's for a really good reason. Um, I know for me, I was, you know, a working woman. I was very independent. I was climbing the corporate ladder, um, while drinking at happy hours and date nights and dinner parties. And, I was also doing Pilates and taking guitar lessons once a week and um, socializing with friends. And I had a decent amount of free time despite working full time. Once I had my son, I had him when I was 32. It was really humbling. I no longer had the ability to do all the things that we do to keep ourselves healthy and centered. Um, having a child is really physically difficult and not just physically difficult in terms of having the baby. It's physically difficult in terms of sort of the 24 seven, having someone rely on you and really losing that independence. But also, I mean, we love our kids, but kids are really triggering as well. Um, someone said to me, it's not that the kids are triggering. It's that they're triggering something in you. I agree. But like having someone scream in your ear and be inconsolable for hours, like that's incredibly hard. I mean, I remember a couple of weeks after my son was born, I was my, thank goodness, my mother-in-law came in to help. I was writing down all the things, you know, she offered to go to the grocery store to pick up. And on the list, I put in earplugs and came back. She's got the bags. I'm pulling everything out of the bag. And I was like, where are the earplugs? And she said, oh, I thought you were kidding. And I was like, who kid? Like, first of all, women with three week old babies do not kid about anything. But I was like, I can put in earplugs and just dull the incredibly piercing sound. I'll still hold him. I'll still take care of him. But like sensory, you know, overwhelm is really big. What you're saying is, is that you could do something to take the edge off. And of course, you know, earplugs are one way to do that. But we're also taught, taught from a very young age that alcohol takes the edge off of everything as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, women don't realize that drinking while you're drinking, of course, but even hangovers sort of add that extra beat or two beats or sort of film or bubble around you from taking in all this, ex you know, external stimulus. Um, you lose a lot of independence. And I always say that, you know, it might be sexist, but in my experience, it's true. Women's lives change about 80% when they have babies. Men's lives change about 20%, maybe 30. And so where you went from being independent and just kind of informing your spouse, hey, I'm going to be late tonight. I'm going to be out tonight. 
suddenly you're asking permission. Like, I want to do something. Can you be home? So it alters your dynamic in your marriage. It alters your independence. Um, It's physically hard. It's overwhelming. And you lose a lot of your both health and wellness activities and time, but also your social activities. And guess what? You can multitask while you're drinking, right? You can drink wine while um, playing Candyland. You can drink wine while doing homework with your kids. Um, A lot of the time when you have young kids, you're home. You're just sort of centered at home when you're not in daycare. And it has become a way that women connect, that they reclaim their independence, that they say that their life is more than the children that they've given birth to. It's a way to sort of feel like you are childless again when you're drinking. Yeah, I think it feels like you're you're sneaking in some easy self-care because we're talking self-care if you can do it while you're also doing something else. And I can really see that. And I also, you know, I I really, you know, I I know fully that... um, that the the gender roles are still not as equal um but there is something that shifted in the uk here which is that you know that the man going out to have a drink in the pub while the woman stayed at home with the babies is no longer acceptable and so you reclaim that social life together with your partner on the sofa in front of the tv and then that's where the bottle of wine gets opened as well so you know it becomes that 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 you know, home unit suddenly becomes a place for drinking as well. And it seemed to be the the time that you have as a couple at the end of the day as well. Yeah. And a lot of the women I work with are really busy, successful women. Um, And they go, go, go all day, you know, get up, get the kids up, um, get them to daycare, get them to school, go to work, work all day, rush home to pick them up from daycare by 6 p.m. And then you have what people call the second shift. And it's the second shift for men, too. But you are getting dinner, feeding the kids, all the things. And when that is going on or when it's over, women want to shut down really quickly too. And drinking is a very quick shortcut to both turning off the day, signaling that you're, you know, having adult time, but also like it immediately, you know, affects your brain. It affects your body when it hits your bloodstream. So it's sort of like weirdly when I was drinking, I thought it was, I was really efficient with everything. It was a really efficient way to change my state. Absolutely. I just, I, firstly, I, I honestly don't know how parents do it. And I'm always in awe of, of parents um, and, and all the things that they juggle. But I wonder how hard it is to, it must be really hard to see that you're getting into trouble because it, you, you're on the go all the time. You are continually caring for, um, for a family and for small charges, as well as probably other people in your life, particularly if you've also got aging parents and so on those caring responsibilities are are real and um, very all-consuming it must be hard to even see how much you're drinking let alone be able to begin to realize that it's really impacting on you when did you realize that that was becoming a problem for you this is like Ace is smiling right now because she's going yep this is the question this is the million dollar question (laughs) well it was it was two ways one you know, I was always trying to moderate. And in the beginning, I was trying to moderate because, you know, I wanted to lose the baby weight or I wanted to get in shape or whatever it was. And so I used to back in the day um, before I 
learned way more about diet culture. And I'm not a big proponent of that at all right now. I just have to state that, but I would log all my food and my drink. And I worked with a personal trainer and literally I would log like egg white omelet, salad for lunch, salmon and asparagus for dinner and four to six glasses of wine at night. And I would bring in my log to my trainer and she'd be like, maybe cut down on the wine. I was like, no, no, no. But I'm still in my, you know, calorie limit for the day. I was like eating almost no food and then drinking a full bottle of wine a night. And I was in that oblivious stage that I was like, this isn't weird. Like I just didn't realize um, that it was a real problem. I was waking up at 3 a.m. with anxiety and would go to my therapist, you know, with the 3 a.m. wake ups of the rushing mind and the anxious. And I would go to my therapist and say, um, I'm so busy. My boss is so hard. I have an 18 month old son, X, Y, Z. And she would prescribe Ambien for me or antidepressants or anti-anxiety pills. So then I was on anti-anxiety or depression medication taking a sleep medication at night and drinking a bottle of wine with an 18 month old at home, um, which is just a really scary situation. So I hate to say that in those times I knew I was drinking too much, but I didn't, I just thought that I needed to cut back. I literally did not realize that it was a major issue. I just thought, Oh, my life is so hard. This is my only reward. This is how I get through the day. Everyone does this. Um, and yet, um, I also remember when my son was about a year, 18 months old, I somehow discovered the book Drinking a Love Story, which was written by Carolyn Knapp. And it was the first sort of memoir of drinking and stopping drinking of, you know, what's now known as Quitlet that I'd ever read. Um, the title Drinking a Love Story just hit me really hard. There was a picture of sort of red wine on the cover. And I started reading it on my Kindle because I didn't want my husband to know I was reading it. So clearly there was some, you know, awareness that, that this was a problem that I didn't want him to become aware of um, to the point where I would like read drinking a love story while drinking red wine. Um, and when I was done reading my chapter, I would go through my Kindle and open up like five other books so that drinking a love story would be pushed down in my queue in case my husband somehow picked up my Kindle and asked what I was reading, which he could care less what I'm reading. You know, um, I ended up, there was a woman and this was, she's an author, um, to show you how, how deep the mommy wine culture runs here. She wrote all these books and the titles were like sippy cups are not for Chardonnay and nap time is the new happy hour. And it was all about, she was a comedian and an author all about, um, how, you know, basically nap time is the new happy hour and that joke of putting wine in sippy cups. And I read, I was at work. My son was about a year, 18 months old. I was down getting coffee in the morning. I am sure hungover because that was fairly regular. And I saw an article, you know, in the sidebar of the New York times on the, on the front cover that said, um, a heroine of cocktail moms sobers up. And it was about her. And I, you know, had bought these books, read these books. They were on my bookshelf, given them to my friends. I bought the newspaper. I read the article and I was like, oh my God, 
you know, it was just that dawning realization. So I like wrote myself a letter. Um, I think I still have it saying I have a problem with alcohol. I need to stop. This is not okay. I think it was on a Tuesday. And then I vividly remember going back on Thursday and like writing above that in the word doc, just kidding, nothing to see here, zero problem, you know. So that was eight years before I finally stopped drinking. Um, It was four or five years before I tried to stop for the first time and, you know, actually talked to people about it, talked to a therapist about it, joined a community. Um, And so I stopped drinking for really three or four months and then I got pregnant. So I didn't drink for a whole year, but I'm sure I would have gone back to it. And then after my daughter was born, I sort of convinced myself that the problematic drinking was situational. It was the job I had at the time. It was my husband not helping enough. It was whatever it was. I was lonely and now I was better. So now I could moderate and have, you know, two glasses of wine on a date night with my husband. Um, And so I went back to drinking and in very short order, I was back to a bottle of wine a night on my couch after my two kids went to bed. And I have to tell you that parenting with hangovers and a fuzzy memory of the night before and having all those unproductive hours, that is brutal. That is hard. Yeah. I just, I, I, I see, you know, when you tell your story, I see so many things that are pushing um, against you really, which is, you know, that, that busyness and that family situation, but all of those sort of little lies you tell yourself, which society then reinforces really through, you know, the baby grows and the mummy time and the wine time and mum o'clock and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and so it's really hard to admit you've got a problem when everything else in society is telling you that that's how it is. And that's how everybody else is. Um, of course, you never see anybody else's parenting and you know, you often don't find yourself the parents that aren't drinking either because, you know, we like to to coalesce people who enable us as well. So I can really see how difficult that is and, and how much that juggling is just huge. So to even find the time to recognize that's a problem is is a major feat already, I think. Yeah. Um, do you, when you speak to the women that you coach, do you... Do, do you get them to ask some questions as to whether they, you know, do they come going, I don't think I've got a problem, but, you know, um, I thought yeah. I'd have a chat with you anyway. Is what, what do you say to them to begin to get them to reflect around how they, whether they are drinking too much or not? Well, one of the big mistakes I think women make when they're thinking about not drinking is they feel like they need to get to a point where they actually want to not drink before they're able to stop. And I think for so many of us, we love drinking. So there are highlights and lowlights. I would say 80% of my life was lowlights, you know, before I stopped drinking at the end, you know, the highlights were date nights with my husband and weekends away with my girlfriends and vacations in Italy. Um, the lowlights were me fall quote unquote, falling asleep on the couch, which was you know, often passing out or waking up at 3 a.m. It was putting on my eyeliner in the morning with bloodshot eyes and watery eyes. It was avoiding my husband's eyes when he asked me how I was feeling. It was saying I wasn't going to drink and at 4 p.m. rationalizing why it was not a big deal and debating if I have time 
to pick up a bottle of wine before I had to get my kid at daycare, literally doing the math down to the minute because I was worried I didn't have, quote unquote, enough at home. Um, those were the lowlights. And yet, you know, that whole um, you re- you're like, but I will never go wine tasting again. But th- I can't give it up because what about those nights out with my girlfriend, which maybe happen once a month? And so, what I tell women when they come to me, it is okay if you don't actually want to stop drinking. What you need to do is, you know, it's like a magnet. When you're drinking, the pull to drink is really strong. And once you get away from it for a period of time, that pull becomes a lot less, both because your dopamine levels restore because you overcome the fear that life without alcohol will suck. You'll start feeling better. You'll be happier. You'll be more optimistic. You'll be more proud of yourself. You'll figure out that parenting is a hell of a lot easier if you're not hungover, but you have to get away from it. And so what I do when women come to me, I say, you know, you've probably been drinking for 20 years. You know what your life looks like drinking both the highs and the lows. You deserve to see how good a period of time without alcohol feels like. Like, aren't you curious? Aren't you, don't you wonder at all where you could be in three months if you don't drink? How much healthier? How much happier? What would you accomplish? And so I sort of hold their hand through those first hundred days you know, telling them, as I know you do in Club Soda, that's normal. Here's what to expect. Here are tools. And I ask them to really treat this period as one of real self-care. We use alcohol as a shorthand for time and for self-care and for a reward and for um, something to enjoy. And instead, I'm like Friday night, leave work a little early and and get a pedicure, Um, get sushi takeout and rent a good movie, go to bed at 8 p.m. if you want to start a morning workout class, you know, do all these, get a babysitter, take that money you would spend it on alcohol and get a babysitter so you can go sit in the hot tub at the gym and do nothing and read a novel and not feel guilty. And so, you know, you need to decompress throughout the day. Um, you know, not rush, rush, rush at work, totally hungover, eating at your desk, not taking a walk, get to 4 p.m., be spent rushing home at the witching hour. So I'm like, set your alarm, block your calendar, take a walk during the day, um, eat something at 5 p.m., you know? Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because, you know, any change takes some time, right? And you need to make time for it, whether it's exercise and even giving up drinking, you need to invest time in it but um giving up drinking also releases more time than you ever imagined you thought you were drinking as you were doing other things but really you weren't doing anything really interesting or you were I just couldn't believe how much time I released when I wasn't drinking and it allowed me to take a step back and and look at my life and go wow I suddenly got these acres of time because I'm not hungover either. Yes. Energy's better, and I want to do stuff with that time. My weekends suddenly feel long. It must be really difficult to explain to people that yes, you do need to put some effort in now, and you need to put some effort while you're also a very busy person. But it will shake out in the end, time wise. Yes. I guess we don't talk about that enough, really, because we're, we're focused on the taking away, but we're not 
we don't ever talk about the slow release of time that will suddenly emerge and be a really yes. exciting part. Well, and also, I know that you are very, very big on non-alcoholic drinks, which I also love. And there is, you know, women feel like if they stop drinking, that there's somehow a 16-year-old who's grounded and had her car keys taken away. And you know, that's because you're drinking a Diet Coke with dinner when you're finally sitting down with your spouse or, you know, it's Saturday night and you're on the couch and you can substitute with that ritual and still feel like you're an adult. Um, and so it doesn't have you're not grounded. I always say, like, you're a grown ass woman who can decide what you do. But I promise you you are going to have more time, money, and energy yeah. when you stop drinking and you're going to feel better. I always, uh, you know, it's a bit like, yes, you can look, have the alcohol for drinking, not the alcoholic drink, and you'll find you've gained another hour, at least in the evening to do something, and at least an hour the following morning to do something, and you'll feel more energetic at the end of the day, which gives you another hour. So you've, by not drinking, you've gained at least three hours in the next 24 hours rather than being hungover and sluggish. But also, you know, we spend lots of money. And I mean, you talked about the fact that you had a therapist and you were paying for a gym and a, a, a personal trainer and all that sort of stuff. And I think that, you know, if somebody had given you uh, the option to buy a pill that would make you look younger, help you be more productive and um, give you more energy and help you sleep better, you would have gone for that pill and paid loads of money. And yes. Quitting alcohol is one way that you can achieve all of those things. We are such basic, aren't we, as human beings? We so want the quick route to. We so want the quick fix. And that both feeds into drinking and it's why it takes longer to stop drinking. I mean, I interviewed, I don't know if you know the book, um, Dopamine Nation. It's one of my favorites. I interviewed Anna Lemke, who's the um, doctor who wrote that book. And she talked about when anyone comes to her for anxiety, depression, whatever it is, she she asked them to go on a 30-day dopamine, um, dopamine fast related to their substance of choice, which can be pot or can be alcohol. She also deals with sex addiction and other things. But, you know, you have to be able to get away from it to get to your baseline, which is what restores feeling happy and content and not in withdrawal without the substance. And that takes, you know, two weeks, you're sort of white knuckling it. You feel so tired, which I know you've talked about. And then you have to get in the habit of not craving that wine or beer or whatever it is at the end of the day. So it, the pull gets less strong as you change that behavior and it becomes more automatic. And so I feel like when people try to moderate or only do drink on the weekends, um, it's so, you know, it is a huge step forward in behavior change. And yet you're never getting away from the withdrawal from the substance and you never get to think about it less. You're still trying to control it as opposed to finding the freedom without it. And I always tell women too, I'm like, take a hundred day break. I promise you, if you don't feel better, the wine is not going anywhere. The beer, it will be there, you know, but aren't you curious how good you can feel without it? Absolutely. And do you, um, uh, uh, do you think that 
how do you talk people through the parenting stuff? Mm, yeah. Parenting through the lens of alcohol, then having to deal with everything and not shut yourself off behind a drink or to yeah. hang over as a way to stay. You know, I, I can imagine there's all sorts of conveniences about drinking that help with parenting or that you've 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 kidded yourself help you with parenting. How do you begin to deal with with that? Yeah. I mean, it's two ways in the very beginning. I tell women to lower the bar, like lower the bar and then lower it even more. I think as women, a lot of us are people pleasers. We try to take care of everybody. Um, often we're looking for approval. We have poor boundaries. I mean, I myself describe myself as a gold star girl. Um, I liked getting gold stars in all areas of my life. And you really need to lower the bar for a little while. Like the kids can watch TV. They're not going to die. You can, you know, get takeout for dinner, make mac and cheese. Um, you need to get that time and space away so that you decompress at different moments so that you don't get to the breaking point. Um, you also need to sort of just go to bed a lot easier. You know, in the beginning, you're just trying to put uh, earlier, you're trying to put distance from you and alcohol. I always tell women, if you tell me you're not going to, you didn't want to drink in your first two weeks, I'm not going to believe you. It just doesn't happen. You need tools to get through those cravings. So, you know, we have a lot of associations, you know, come home, open a bottle of wine while, or beer when you're cooking dinner, when you're eating, when you're doing the dishes. And, you know, so get changing some basic patterns, like not spending as much time cooking, um, maybe going for a walk before dinner, asking your spouse to help, um, maybe not being in charge of bedtime routine, that can all help. Um, for me, when I started, I um, tried to shut down, you know, get dinner, shut down the kitchen as quickly as possible. My daughter was two years old. I actually used to rush through her bedtime so that I could get downstairs and have, you know, me time with my wine on the couch, watching Scandal or some other show. When I stopped drinking, I would go upstairs and in her quiet, dark room, I would just rock her to sleep. And I would stay in there for like an hour. I would put in my earbuds and I'd listen to a sober podcast or I'd listen to a novel. Um, I read, you know, listen to Between Breaths by Elizabeth Vargas and Girl Walks Out of a Bar and Blackout by Sarah Heppola. And it was just really my quiet time. It was sort of my hour after the crazy day to focus on what I was doing. And then I would, you know, I made my bedroom sort of my safe place. So, um, you know, I wouldn't spend hours on the couch drinking. Instead, I would go to my room. I would put on my essential oil diffuser. I'd watch a show on my iPad. I'd get a great night of sleep and I'd get up and actually work out at 530 in the morning. And in no time at all, that started feeling really good. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, you know, I got slightly addicted to how good I suddenly felt quite quickly. And even though I was still tired in the first three months, I was, I was still had more energy. And it, I know that sounds really conflicting, but it did. I was oh, like, no. oh my God, this is amazing. My brain's coming back. It's all really exciting. And ah! um, so it was a great feeling. And so, you know, it's not all going to be, you know, pink, fluffy clouds, right? You know, there are some tough times. There are some times when you really want to drink and you're having to work really hard, but it, 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 you know, it does get there and it does get easier. It is a practice after all yeah. practice. 
practice not drinking and and it does get easier do you think we need to do a little bit more to change you know that that culture around talking to mums about drinking it's still really big here in the UK oh yeah How can and we stop it? <laughs> yeah I mean I think that we as drinkers tend to surround ourselves with other drinkers and because it's what we like to do so um, I know, you know, I was going to this sort of early parent support group in Seattle when my first son was born at 12 weeks, where we'd meet weekly in the evenings for two hours and talk about, I don't know, baby sign language and how they were sleeping and various things like that. I went to the first evening meeting and the leader um, literally, I think, had Coke, Diet Coke apple juice and goldfish crackers for the event. And then she was asking people to volunteer to host the next meetings. And I am not a volunteer girl, but I signed up for the very next event so that I could host and offer beer and wine and cheese and crackers. I was like, let's set the tone for what this is supposed to be, because I have to if I have to sit around with strangers eating goldfish for the next two months, this is going to be a nightmare, you know? And so of those parents, the people who really enjoyed sort of partying um, during the early parent support group were the people I got together with after. And so, yes, we need to change the culture. And I believe that there are also a lot of people out there who don't dive into the mommy wine culture. And I just didn't hang out with them. Once I didn't see them, they were invisible to us. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so once I stopped drinking, one of the, I started working out with this morning workout group who were all moms at five 30 in the morning. And you know what people who work out in five 30 in the morning don't do is typically drink a bottle of wine the night before. Now I had many times and burpees when you're brutally hungover are pretty awful, but the people in that group were not the people passing out on the couch the night before. And so I was able to sort of expand my social circle to include people who weren't on the problematic drinking, moving into not drinking path, but they were suddenly inviting me to run five K's and, you know, let's go do this, you know, there's a mindful triathlon that happens. And so you do yoga and meditation and a dance party in a park. And I was just like, I felt like my life was getting so much more exciting than when I was drinking, when I was drinking, my life got pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. I I can, I can absolutely see that. Mine did too. So um, if you were going to give three pieces of advice then to a parent um, of, of any gender um, or any sex, what, what would you say to them um, to, to, get, to help them sort of reflect on their drinking and take the first steps towards change? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I want to say, and then I'll dive into the advice, is that it is hard to stop drinking for everyone, right? Regardless of your situation, if you're a big drinker, um, we have been taught since we were young that drinking is the way to decompress and relax and, and do all the things and helps us connect. So I talk 
with people who say, well, it's hard for me to stop drinking because my kids are out of the house and I don't have, I don't need to be responsible anymore. Or it's hard for me to stop drinking because I live alone and there's no one to hold me accountable. It's hard for me to stop drinking because my partner drinks a lot or because I'm at work and I go on business trips and there's a social event or I'm a stay at home mom and I have no break at all. And so I think it's hard for everyone. But the advice I would give people is one, keep listening to things like this podcast, keep surrounding yourself with other people who are on this path, because you're starting to change your thinking about that drinking is not required in all social circles. You're starting to learn different techniques for how to deal with um, happy hour and how to deal with triggers without diving into alcohol. So first, continue to, to explore the, um, the many, many communities around alcohol-free living or mindful drinking that you're already doing because you will see you're not alone. You will learn a lot of practical tips for not drinking. Number two, Take a period of time. My advice is a longer period of time, like 100 days away from drinking. Like, you know, in terms of behavior change, Laura, I know you talk about it. Set a goal. Tell people about your goal. You don't have to think that you're that bad. You don't have to think that you have to stop drinking forever. But, deal, you know, treat it as a self-care time and a health challenge. And getting away for a period of time is really, really helpful to see how you physically and emotionally and mentally feel better than when you were drinking. The third thing I would say is give yourself a lot of sober treats. You do work hard. You do deserve a reward at the end of the day. You do deserve time away from your children. It's just that alcohol isn't truly helping you do that. So, you know, I saved a lot of money when I stopped drinking. I did the math and I actually saved $550 in my first 30 days, which is amazing. Um, I used that money for, you know, before it was my husband's like, I've got X, I've got Y, I'm out this night. I used it to get some babysitters. I used it to join a gym that had childcare. Um, so I could get a two hour break. I used it. You know, I was way more productive during the day at work when I wasn't hungover. It was amazing. So I could, you know, block out an hour and go for a long walk by myself. Um, you know, like I said, you can get a pedicure or a massage on Friday night. I know it sounds decadent. You also spend a lot of money on drinking. And so for the first month, at least, do some nice things for yourself. So you don't say my life is hard. I do so much for other people and my only reward has been removed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you and find your podcast, Casey? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at hellosomedaycoaching.com. And my podcast is the Hello Someday podcast. And it's a really great place. I've got a lot of advice and amazing guests, including Laura, talking about how to drink less and live more. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. There you go, Drew. Things that you needed to have known when you were a dad. Golly, I wish I had known, to be honest. My reflection, looking back on my parenting, 
uh, of Ben is that for many years, I knew that I didn't want to drink around him. Um, I, I, I was a divorced dad when he was 10 or five. So, um, to be honest, I the time that I had with him, I wanted to be as present as possible. But all that meant was the moment he went back to his mum, I ended up drinking um, or getting high because I just like compartmentalised my life. And I wish I'd been able to, in reflection, join up the fact that I didn't want to do that around him, that there was something I felt really uncomfortable about being that kind of role model for him. But it was something that I was happy to hide from him. And, you know, if I'd thought about that more at the time, I think I probably would have come to the conclusion that I need to do something about my use of substances sooner rather than later. Yeah. And the thing I also got from it is that uh, changing your drinking is hard and that you need to find some time to to concentrate on not drinking. You can't just go, all right, I'm not going to drink tomorrow and then not have planned it. But it is definitely worth finding the time because the time that not drinking will release for you is is quadruple that really. Yeah. And so it may seem hard to sit and think that you're going to have to embark on this hard journey while you've got so much going on. But I can tell you, even for someone who didn't have kids, the amount of time that it released when I gave up drinking um, was amazing. And um, you will reap that back. So it, don't see it as giving up drinking. See it as looking at how you, how you can get more out of your day, I think, yeah. And, yeah. More, and ability to be more productive. And even that alone has got to be worth a shot, right? Absolutely. Hours and hours and hours of time that you get to spend with your kids or doing other things, you know, if you can share the care. Anyway, thanks for joining us on the Club Soda podcast. Um, we are here pretty much every week. You can find us at Join Club Soda across social media. We're joinclubsoda.com for everything else. Do like and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Share this with your friends and review us. And we will chat to you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.